Well, hey there, Todd. Hey, that was, um, you know, the, our last little chat there was really interesting to just hear about growing up in Iowa and the Bless Brothers, the Great Embalmers, a little hard of hearing. <laughs> I liked how you called them. They had rough funerals, but the deceased always looked great. And uh, and then that story about uh, Mrs. Norton was uh, really touching. And I think, again, it probably continue, lets you know why you do what you do on an ongoing basis. So we're you know, you kind of hinted where we're going next. So why don't you just jump right in there, the next the next stop on the Todd Van Beck life train. Well, thank you, Rob. Um, I, uh, the ne- the uh, next episode, and, uh, and this, of course, all of these lead m- me in the direction to become uh, engaged in, the, in our beloved profession. Uh, so the next episode out in Iowa, was well we had several things uh, we had a young man david felker uh it was horrible just horror you know i mean farm accidents were routine out there i i don't think people quite understand sometimes how dangerous a profession farming actually is but you know a lot of farmers back then wore big old baggy big smith overalls that had all kinds of loops for hammers it had all kinds of stuff my grandfather wore that every day and they'd get caught in power takeoffs or they'd get a foot in an auger uh sometimes they go through a hay i mean well we had this kid when we were when i was 10 named david felker and for some reason uh, in fact, we talked about him at the last reunion when I went back home. He was crazy about Oliver tractors, right? Now, for non-farm people, you know, these tractors in the rural communities are almost like a status symbol uh, of what kind of car you drive. And uh, Oliver's, you know, we'd go to the county fair and we, you know, people go, well, where's David Felker at? And we go, well, he's over there at the Oliver tractor display. And we go over there and there he is sitting on top of an Oliver tractor, just looking around. We'd sit there and talk to him. And I remember um, he, he put that tractor in a ditch one day. And I always thought that he, the poor guy was so terrified that he was going to get into trouble by putting the side wheel of a tractor in a ditch. And he tried to get the tractor out by himself. And the tractor, some of you have driven tractors, the back end is uh, heavier than the front end. And he gunned the throttle and that tractor went up in the air and he got tossed off the tractor and when the tractor landed it had flipped over and it landed on his back and it was he was there for probably 40 minutes before anybody went by the scene and i remember we went to that funeral as a class and i remember sitting there the blessed brothers had the funeral uh and david you know laid out and i remember these experiences of how appropriate as a young kid it felt in my heart that the community was together right our our funerals in that little town were not okay uh we're going to have a party right we're going to get rid of the body as quickly as possible 
right? Our town back then, now this was 60 years ago, right? Uh, the funerals were, uh, I, 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 forgive me for being biased on this subject, but I am a little biased. They were, they were ritualistically literate. The funerals made sense, even if you didn't quite understand what all the hymns meant and you didn't quite, un or, or the funeral sermon wasn't really well presented because we had some dud ministers out there uh, that were great pastors, but they weren't particularly great orators, right? But the funeral, the ritual, the ceremony itself, it did this magic. It did. I call it the ritual. I call it the funeral magic. It, and it's still there. I, I saw it the other day at Colin Powell's funeral. Um, in fact, I was talking to Dwayne Hills at Gawlers who did the funeral. And he and I were dissecting that service at the National Cathedral. Good heaven's sakes, the National Cathedral in Washington compared to the first congregational church in Evoke, Iowa, right? You would think it's, a, it's, you would think it's Venus and Mars, but it's not. Those elements of that funeral were almost identical because at the end, in David Felker's funeral and in Colin Powell's funeral, it made people feel as if they had done the right thing and it gave them peace of mind. And that's a priceless psychology that is had at the potentials of funeral rituals. So, David Felker's death was, and by that time now, by that time, by the time I'm 10, everybody in town knew I wanted to be an undertaker when I grew up. Everybody in town knew it. And the reason they knew it, right, was because I, my dad let me, he turned this barn over to me, right? Now, it was a big barn. It had a hay mound upstairs. It had a garage section had a, a another maintenance section on it and uh, I man I grabbed a hold of that facility and uh, within uh, a couple of weeks I had my own little volunteer fire department because I always was interested in fire departments as a kid and I was on the fire department for years um, and then I made the side uh, funeral home and then upstairs I put in this gambling casino because I've always had this side of my personality, right, uh, where I do do that stuff, right? Now, what happened was, was uh, I, I suspect that some of the popularity of this multifaceted facility, right, in one building, you have the fire department, the mortuary, and a gambling casino. But I suspect the popularity of that had something to do that there were no video games, there was no internet, there was only three television channels, and they weren't all that good. Um, but I became, um, I did, I became very popular in that little town because uh, kids would get bored, right, because there was nothing to do, nothing, right? And they'd come over to my house. My mother, who was a gracious lady, would make them lemonade and iced tea and give them a soda or whatever. And then we'd have fires. We, we would have fires and everybody'd run to the barn. We had bicycles that we had dressed up as fire engines. Uh, my brother, he's 10 years younger than I am, 
when he was born, we used to lay him out in the grass and we'd use his baby carriage as an ambulance. And our, yeah, is this crazy? <laughs> I had a vivid imagination. And to, to his credit, our dog would stand guard over him while, while yeah, we, here we got a, a six month infant out in the yard in the grass, hell, snake or I don't know, a dog. And the dog though protected him. It was crazy. And then, and then after the fire was over, we'd have a funeral. And on the side, we had a little cemetery. And all of my friends would come and get me if they found a dead squirrel, if they found a dead bird, right? I mean, we were a functioning funeral home, right? Well, this wasn't just, uh, this wasn't just uh, make-believe stuff. And then upstairs after the funeral was over to relax, we'd go out and play blackjack. Uh, we'd play a, a roulette. Uh, we'd uh, do uh, a little poker. At 10, at 10 years old, right? I'm up there. The dealer um, and uh, so in the midst of this because and everybody the good thing about a little town is town little towns tend to tolerate eccentrics and by that time I was clearly on the road to being an eccentric there was no question about it I, I still see myself as an eccentric right and uh, so by that time, it was common knowledge that I wanted to be a funeral director. Uh, and so this barn thing, to their credit, my parents, my mother particularly, dad wasn't too keen on it, but dad, dad didn't get too keen on much at times. But mother was supportive of it. And my grandmother particularly was supportive of it. And, uh, <clears throat> but in the midst of this, my grandfather died. And my grandfather uh, was a seminal influence in my life growing up. I, I don't. I would. I think it's fair to say, and you know, I mean, this was years, decades ago. I didn't have a particularly uh, warm relationship with my father, but I did have a warm relationship with my uh, grandfather, and I remember. Uh, you know, my Bertha Norton's funeral and David Felker's funeral. Uh, but my grandfather was the first relative that I had die. Um, and what's interesting about it is, is that my grandfather, in fact, I've said kind of tongue in cheek, and if anybody listening to this has had a death through COVID-19, the pandemic, I apologize. Uh, profusely for what I'm about to tell you. But if it hadn't have been for the Spanish flu epidemic of 1918, I wouldn't be here because all four of my grandparents' first spouses died of the flu epidemic of 1918. All four of their first spouses died. In fact, my grandfather, who was 21 years older than my grandmother, had hired my grandmother to nurse his wife while she was dying. That's how they meant, right? And I, I, I'm passing that on because my grandfather and my grandmother's age difference was uh, significant, uh, a 21-year run. But they had a tremendously successful relationship. Um, and, uh, and when he died, he died... We always thought he'd lied about his age, um, 
but he was in his late 80s when he died. But it was the first time, Rob, that I experienced going to a funeral as a as a active rel relation mourner. Um, and I was so touched by the sincere comments of the community of their opinion of my grandfather. And it doesn't make any difference what they had to say. It was all, it was very gracious and very kind, but I remember how it, um, it just warmed my heart. And you know, to this day, when I would work visitations and calling hours, we had some staff members that grumble about it. You know, why don't these people go home? Uh, you know, it's nine o'clock, the thing's supposed to end at eight and they're still here. I could understand the impatience with that, but I also personally understood the, the, the tremendous psychological help that being told a person that you love is now not with you anymore. And, and let me, here's the key that could show an ugly side. That's the key to this, right? My grandfather was not a saint, right? My grandfather had an ugly side to him as we, as, as we all do, right? But at the funeral, they focused upon the positive. I, I kind of thought it was like a, a preview of um, positive thinking. Uh, uh, you know, before uh, Norman Vincent Peale and Robert Schuller and Joel Olstein, you know, be happy, be happy at all. I, I always have looked back at funerals where the dead are being honored as a uh, issue of um, of many many positive comments that that warms the human spirit uh, so the funeral was uh, was very good and I'll tell you this quickly I remember going downtown the caskets the Bluss brothers caskets were not at the funeral home <laughs> they were in the furniture store right so they had them stacked up at the furniture store and my grandfather under his bed had a little lockbox and when he died, my grandmother opened up and he had an envelope on there written funeral. And in there was a 10 $100 bills, $1,000. And I remember my grandmother, I'm standing next to her because I was a teenager by the time he died. A grandmother handed Henry Bluss, the undertaker, that envelope. And she said this, take out of that what you need to bury Tony. And that was the transaction, no FTC, no contracts. And Henry Bless took it and he counted out $800. And he looked at her and he said, Marie, that's all I'm gonna need to bury Tony. He handed her back an envelope with $200 in it. Now, until the day she died, Henry Bless was the undertaker sent to us for, by sweet Jesus, because when my grandfather died, she got a refund on the funeral. He did not take the entire thousand dollars. I have relayed that transaction a thousand times in seminars because I still think that is as valid as it is today as it was in uh, the 1960s when this happened. So that's the story.
Well, that's the, Todd, those are great. And, you know, I know you're hard on yourself sometimes, but, you know, you're a great storyteller. As you're telling these stories chronologically, you can see your dedication and passion for funeral service set up by all of these instances and experiences in your childhood. And, and it's just amazing. And, and then as you do to, you know, weaving in some of the, uh, the lessons and, and benefits that today's funeral professionals and tomorrow's can, can glean from. So it's great. Next, next time when we get together, where are we going to, what are we going to talk about then? I think it's time to move on beyond Iowa and uh, tell some stories and accounts of how difficult and challenging it was to get your foot in the door in the funeral profession. Um, some interesting accounts there that I think many of your listeners, it will resonate with them. That sounds great, Todd. Looking forward to it. Thanks again. Okay. Yeah, thank you, Rob.